chin line, don't you? Is this beard staying? Seriously, because I love it. I like it as well. I really, really like it. Does it make me look distinguished? That's no. the word that's been used. Mm. Uh, can I show you? Uh, can I show you a series of photos? These are the only wedding photos that I'm allowed to show any other humans. Um, Officially. Chinch, don't look at this for a second. Keep your eye on Chinch. Okay. This is a series of photos during a period when everybody is together and there are group shots. Oh and no. they are being given a series of different instructions in how to behave and how to position themselves by the photographer, who at all times was incredibly clear, as you can see, by the reaction and behavior of everybody in the photo. Apart from Chinch. Well, hang on, I just want to say that Chinch should be very good at I don't say standing in a straight line and following instructions, because <laughs> no. that's basically what he did for his entire career. Yeah, yeah, very disciplined. So keep an eye, keep an eye. It's like a kaleidoscope, but one thing doesn't move. Look at the couple, couple kiss, smile, Chinch. At no point... That's amazing. ...is he doing anything different. Was there something on the horizon that had caught your interest? <laughs> I don't know, because I can't see it, so I... Uh, right, Chinch, I, here we uh, go. Keep an eye on yourself and watch what am I doing? everybody else. <laughs> what okay. am I doing? Now, that's beautiful. Everybody's looking towards the camera. This is the group yes. shot, by the way, the wedding, look, look the wedding the party couple. group shot. <laughs> Chinch, oblivious. Look towards the couple. Right. Couple kiss. Everybody smile. Chinch, oblivious. <laughs> Just no, 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 no. This into is, the distance. No, this is... Hands in front of groin as if defending in a wall at set Pete. <laughs> that, that is exactly what I was going to say. Just I know, no, I was never in the wall. Completely oblivious. And then at the one wall. point, his eyes dart to the right as if to suggest, should I be doing something different but maintaining this smile? Is this what you did when you were getting instructions in the, in the change so room ahead of the game? You know, when, they were, what they were, when they were working through the distance. just like... Looking go. at a point on the wall. That's ruined that picture, What's hasn't it? What's wrong with you, no, no, but that's a talking point, isn't it? When it, you have to have that and say, look at the buffoon on the end. <laughs> Just like, was it, uh, was I'm it not going to be framing that shot, put it that way. Was it last week that we did the story, the, the soccer story, where Chinch talked about how he was thinking about what he was having for his dinner? Yeah, Chinese meals stuff, yeah, Well, yeah. now we know at least how he looked whilst he was doing that. Maybe I was analysing the movement of the, uh, the wine waiters. Possibly, yeah. Possibly. Yeah, trying to work that, out yeah. the formation. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's going on over there. I know I can see that. What? What's happening over there could be crucial. You you looked, Chinch, if I'm honest. Disinterested. Like, like you'd be really good in a wall. Why were you never in the wall? Because... Five foot eight. Five foot eight? And a half. No. No, you don't put... I don't think, do you put fullbacks in walls? You put whoever you want in the wall. No, not fullbacks. Really? You could put Ryan Bertrand in a wall, would you? What's you could the point? do. Wait, well... What, Ryan Bertrand is like two-dimensional? He can't do a wall? He can't do a no, wall. No, he's too small. So what's the point? He, he, and the way so you are saying you're too small? No, it wasn't about the, the size of Did the Did you go on the post? Back. Was that your job, to be on the post? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Was I? Did I? Yeah, fullbacks always go on the post. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, diff- is yeah, that, yeah, is yeah, that written yeah, into the contract? Yeah, 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 in many ways, it's, it's the, the most important thing that fullbacks do. Because I was do. always... Ama- that, it's totally the only thing that fullbacks Ron wanted me to go and attack set pieces. So I'd always have taken them. Well, if I didn't take them, I'd be stood on the halfway line. And Ron said, we want you up there attacking crosses. And I looked at him thinking, are you taking the mick? Me, head a ball in an offensive <laughs> manner. Have you ever seen me do that? What the <laughs> hell? So very yeah, strange. Your, your most famous goal in, in your career was a header. It was, yeah, but Which not is, from clearly from a set piece. Was, yeah, it? From, so. was that from a sort of bombing, overlapping run? Yeah, overlapping in the run. famous five, in the 5-1. Yeah. It was a 60-yard overlapping run, wasn't it? These muffins are lovely. <laughs> The defence had pretty much, the United defence had pretty much given up at the point where she was allowed whoa, to come whoa. steaming through the middle of it. They were already, what, 4-1 down. Well, Russell Beersmore had given up because I'd elbowed him in the face on the <laughs> way through, but anyway. Welcome to Set Piece Many. This is the podcast where four friends talk football over food. You've already heard the food. More on that in a moment. Um, Set Piece Menu is also known uh, hereafter as Rory Smith's Podcast. Uh, it's a much better name. It's a much better name via a, uh, a very um, heartwarming and exciting 
official endorsement from the New York no, Times. No, no, no. I don't know. No, if, no, is it's it's it an official endorsement? Official. No, it was a link to the. They, they, yeah, the, the NYT very, very kindly. Uh, and very helpfully. I mean, I think it's a nice, it's a nice symbiosis of two powerful media brands. Uh, <laughs> what, the New York Times and, and set piece menu. Set piece menu. Yeah. Mm. Equal, equal footing. Yeah, just yeah. about. I would have yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's brilliant for the podcast, and it's really, it's really, it's hugely appreciated that the New York Times should feel that they want to link to. Who did to you blackmail? Output. I didn't blackmail anybody. It was whose arm did you put their back? I believe it was the suggestion of the digital department. Because oh. it, you know, it shows that we are. You know, there's many ways to enjoy various sort of forms of the NYT's soccer content. The and this digital is one of them. department. Are we they all made of pixels and stuff. We what? have a digital department. It's called Steve. Steve exactly. He's very good, though, with his new beard. Well, he's beautiful, Steve beautiful, has, beautiful Steve beard. Steve has got a beard, and yeah. it is working. He's like an attractive Bluto, isn't he, from uh, Popeye? I've realised that there's no point <laughs> trying to make myself look younger, so I've just got to accept... I love it. ...accept the fact that age is passing rapidly. You have the same body type as Bluto from Popeye. I do not. You do. He's Re- round. Really thin legs. and like <laughs> My legs aren't thin. A massively sort he's of overinflated right. torso. After this podcast, I'm taking my trousers off, and you can have a damn good look at my legs. They are not thin. Thin. <laughs> Which will, of is course... Straight back onto the fact that he doesn't wear underwear. Is, um, is this broadcasting that has brought the, this podcast to the New York Times? Is this it's true. If there, <laughs> were, if there are any new listeners via the New York Times, uh, welcome. That is not necessarily a good representation of some of the conversations we have. It is, however, one of the conversations that we have had. Um, the food that we are currently uh, enjoying, I hope everybody's enjoying it, are chia and mulberry muffins, which is a kind of a back way of saying we're eating bad food but we've given it superfood status yes and i've done them because chinch you have to have superfood it's delicious they are delicious you have to maintain that bluto i don't look like bluto am i thinking of the wrong character yeah fog olive oil what you're thinking of (laughs) you know you're very funny you look nothing like olive oil that's nonsense my legs apparently do to stave off any more threats of nakedness let's remind you of our four footballing friends that are sat around this table I'm Hugh Ferris I present stuff Andy Hinchcliffe is here he explains stuff Steve Wythe commentates on stuff and Rory Smith the aforementioned writes stuff can I uh, thank everybody for getting in touch via at setpiecemenu on Twitter we will be uh, talking to some of you via the uh, means of the pod a little bit later on because of your contributions on our subject this week and also uh, to all those who emailed at setpiecemenu at gmail.com do keep them coming in we receive them heartily Uh, so then to our subject on this week's pod uh, which was prompted by a listener Ross who is a very regular contributor so thank you to Ross and he very appealingly pitched this idea to us as Alan Partridge would. Is this Ross Park? Yes, it is Ross Park. Oh, well, can we ask Ross Park, who is a, a valued contri- contri- contributor, contributor to the, contributor to the <laughs> podcast? I sent him a book, and I'm really worried it's got lost in the post because he's not told me he's got it. Uh, well, so, Ross, if you want to get in touch and tell us that you have received it and also review it on Amazon and give it five stars. <laughs> to, Still hankering after that. To make up for the guy who left a three-star one the other day. Which is what? offensive and insulting and unnecessary. Apparently the stories get repetitive. Don't blame me. Blame history. It's not my fault. <laughs> I just tell the stories as, to- as they exist. You're just a conduit for I'm the I'm a stories. conduit. It's not, my f- it's not my responsibility to make the stories more interesting. No. Oh, I know so it is. this is how Ross pitches us this idea in the style of Alan Partridge uh, asking his secretary, Lynn, to take down a note. Lynn, idea for a show. What's the most important position? Has it changed? Has the game has changed? Do the current tactics of overlapping attacking fullbacks justify Pep Guardiola spending all that money on them? Graham Gooch to present. That is in the, in the style Gucci? of... Where's Gucci? 
Uh, well, I did call Graham, but unfortunately he didn't want to come along and present today. He did, however, offer his own thoughts on the most important position. Opening batsman, he said, and then hung up. <laughs> this is in the style of which is the best mundra, iron, fish or wall. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, whilst trying to take it a little bit more seriously than that, <laughs> although probably question. failing, what is the most important position on the football field? Let's not be childish, as Andrew, of course, was on text last night. Oh, you got that, did you? Yeah. yeah. Got, well, yeah. got it. You got it. I you all get it. it. it looks no. so happy with <laughs> you, I got no response to it. I was quite <laughs> yes, disappointed. Because yeah, we'd, yeah. we'd already ah. exhausted that line of yes. uh, mirth a little earlier on when you were ignoring the flow of text I messages. thought it was... No, I was living my life. I thought it's because we're all in our 30s and... Except Chinch. And <laughs> He's in his teens. Do not, do, not, do not find stuff like that funny. Okay, fair enough. First of all, thanks, as I mentioned, to all those who offered their own thoughts on this subject via Twitter. Over the last few days, we will get to them shortly. Steve will be sprinkling them like a chia seed in a beautiful muffin all right. um, over the top of the conversation I as that, we progress. I hope, by the way, that people appreciate that we have opened the discussion out for the first time. We've been very inclusive about our points of uh, our topics for discussion in the podcast up until this point so hopefully people will enjoy the opportunity to get involved before we record we it's a good idea actually to sort of throw out our subjects beforehand it's it's the first time that we've actually been organized enough to be able to do yeah. that it seems such a straightforward question but it's it's a left brilliant back. it's a br- well left back is what's the most important <laughs> what it was when i played but it's a brilliant brilliant question so i think ross deserves not a round of applause, that's maybe going a bit too far. Was that a bit pathetic with just four people One thumb it? up, maybe. One thumb up, all uh, for Ross Park. Thank yes. you, Ross. Um, we should quantify, just very briefly, important. I think important is best uh, described as uh, a position that, if bad, scuppers your team more than any other, and if good, improves your position or improves But then you change the team. question. Well, that's, isn't that importance? Well, no, I, still, I think... We, but they said about you, marketing, there's so many angles to this, but it, on a purely footballing point of view... So Hugh's right, because I don't want to steal Steve's thunder, but a lot of the Twitter response that I got when I said that the most important role, I said the most important role in a team really is playmaker. But a lot of people said, well, the goalkeeper, if you take the goalkeeper away, it changes the game the most. Obviously, if you remove... Well, if you play without a goalkeeper, I mean, that's going to really, really quite be difficult to defend against. From the equation, then that makes the biggest difference because it makes it really easy for the opposition to score. If you have a goalkeeper of less... less quality than your opposition does it have the same impact I'm not sure let's discuss well that's the thing we should probably start with goalkeeper and we'll work our way through the team so that at least people can follow the discussion goalkeeper situation is interesting because if you take for example Claudio Bravo bought for a skill that he obviously had but not necessarily the primary skill of a goalkeeper which he over a period of a few months displayed that he wasn't necessarily as adept at and the argument was why are you signing a goalkeeper on a secondary strength not a primary strength because clearly you suffer if your goalkeeper cannot make saves but how important is it to have a good goalkeeper and does that make them the most important member of a team what position there was a lot of there were people on twitter as steve will no doubt have the proof of the pudding who supported the the sort of truism the aphorism that you needed a goalkeeper to win titles. That that is a that's one of those cliches, and there are a lot of people on Twitter who did make that point. Uh, Funky Mojo forty four, who I feel like has got a name that needs some kind of jingle to accompany <laughs> it, uh, said keepers no other player can have such an impact on results. But it's and a, that sort of summed up the mood, I think. It's a negative impact, isn't it? That's how you you measure it. You measure what they prevent happening rather than what they yes. create happening. So if you have a good goalkeeper, then you probably don't notice the impact on the results. 
if you have a bad goalkeeper, you probably do. But it depends what kind of team you are. Like Bravo was signed for Man City because they were going to be a team that had 70% of the ball. They weren't expecting their goalkeeper to make many saves. He was going to be a player they could play back to and he could play out with his feet. So he was signed for the role that the team was yes, expecting and a, and the a team lot of the to goals play. that he conceded were as a result of him being left woefully yes, unprotected yes, 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 yes. by a progressive defensive Yeah, but the plan, that, that's the reason he was signed, was to be this kind of an extra ball-playing defender in many ways. We don't expect you to catch crosses because you, you shouldn't be having to deal with many or make saves because the way we play, we dominate the ball, we pin teams in. I'm not, it seems strange. I'm but not be, signing you to make saves. I'm it, signing you it, to be the uh, player we can work, play the ball to. City suffered. Yes. So if you've got a team with it, and Liverpool have had these problems too in the past, if you don't have a goalkeeper that you feel is underpinning all the work that you do ahead of a goalkeeper, then surely that is more detrimental to your team than if you were to be without a star quality left back. Just as an example, don't be offended. At so I think there is there is, th- or I think there there are three ways of counteracting the argument that you have to have a top quality goalkeeper to be a top quality team. Would you like to hear those three ways? What? They are very brief. Way number one, Roman Weidenfeller, Bundesliga title winner with Borussia Dortmund. Terrible goalkeeper. Also strange hair. Hair that I wouldn't necessarily appreciate in any position. 1973 German hair. Yes. Uh, Why why would you quantify him as being a terrible goalkeeper? Well, terrible, I'm I'm clearly being overly dramatic. He's not a terrible, he's just not a particularly, he's not a special goalkeeper, Weidenfeller. He's not Buffon. He's been he's been a terrible goalkeeper in an awful lot of games. Then I think only one player has played more games for Borussia Dortmund. In the he, he has he been is a, like his longevity is is phenomenal. His long hair is also phenomenal. And I need to be relatively subtle about this. I I think it's probably fair to say that Jurgen Klopp's answer to the question we have been set today would not be goalkeeper. Jurgen okay. Klopp does not necessarily believe that the goalkeeper's strength is the greatest issue pre- facing a football team. I think that's fair to say. Weidenfeld isn't terrible, but he is he is an average goalkeeper. He's not. He's not a world-class goalkeeper. I know he's played for Germany. I know he's had a long and illustrious career. He is much better at being in goal than I am. I'm not convinced you could say he's top quality. But anyway, I've, I've supported evidence, Steve. No, that's fine. Uh, that's fine. No, I, I, was, I was interested in it. Point, Point number, number two. two. Felix. The cat? No, the Brazilian goalkeeper <laughs> in 1970. No one remembers Felix because Felix wasn't very good. But you didn't need him because all eleven, of, all 10 of the others, I know how many people play in a football team, <laughs> <laughs> all 10 of the others were amazing. And Sebastiano Rossi. Surely Sebastiano Rossi proves that great teams do not need to have great goalkeepers. I'm going to embarrass Sebasti- myself. AC Milan? Yeah, Sebastiano yeah. Rossi was not a great goalkeeper. He was, he was kind of a 1990s Viden fella. He was fine. But he wasn't. So you're saying let in two as long as you score three. I'm saying what I think you can be a great team even if you have a by the numbers run of the mill goalkeeper. I, yeah. th- I think if you have a bad goalkeeper, if you put me in goal for 1994 AC Milan, it would be a disaster. Yeah, but you could let five in. The team's so good they can still score six. So you still the team still win even though you're dreadful. The risk is I might concede rather more than five. <laughs> oh, okay. But the although I was a goalkeeper until I was 14, inspired by Mark Bosnich, one of my early heroes, both for his. That's Mark Bosnich's on the field activities that inspired. No, I was going to say it was both. Uh, the uh, the um, so I think you you can I think there is an element of myth making about it. I think obviously you don't want to have a bad goalkeeper, but I don't think you need a goalkeeping superstar to be a truly great. Here's, team. here's a good question. Leicester City, when they won the Premier League title, who was their most important player? Because that's a team that you would think shouldn't mm-hmm. get where it got. Was it Casper Schmeichel? It was, was Claudio Vardy. Who, who was the most important player? Where's Morgan? Who was the? If you took Schmeichel out of that team, did they still win the title? Depends take who, Vardy out of the team. Depends who you're replacing with. T- it depends. Yeah, you see. 
Depends mm. who you replace them with. Mm. D- does the importance of a goalkeeper not depend on how many shots they're going to face? Yeah, it does. It's still R- whether Ross- they can still save them, though, R- isn't it? But Rossi's the perfect example of that. That Sebastiano Rossi played for Italy, didn't concede very many goals, but it wasn't because he's some sort of legendary goalkeeper. It was because AC Milan's defence was outstanding. Yeah. And yeah. where those shots are coming from. Yeah. yeah, if, yeah. If, if the, the team that you are, if the defence you're playing behind is so accomplished that you're facing very few close range shots that most of them are from outside the penalty area that you get good lines of sights you know that you're unlikely to be caught off guard or surprised then then the importance of the goalkeeper is is diminished mm. who was Neville Southall's backup uh, when you were at Everton well there's Bobby Mims and then Jason Kearton who was an Australian goal but they, they never played but, never but, played. but if you'd come into the dressing room uh, ahead of ahead of a game and Howard Kendall has said look lads I'm going to give Big Nev a rest today and we're putting yeah, Jason yeah, Kitten yes, in goal. Yes, yes. Would you suddenly be thinking, yes, Neville's we're, we're struggling today. Yes. We're struggling. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm Neville, having Neville today. in your team psychologically was for the defender, not just obviously we were hoping to protect him, but we knew that if anything got past us, we had him. And that I just, it does make you play very differently, feel very differently. So that makes, confident that suddenly makes, doing. makes the quality of the goalkeeper seem... Absolutely, yeah. You know, their, their importance has increased and if the yes. attitude of the defenders playing in front of them is, is influenced by who's in goal. Yeah. The other two things to quickly say about a goalkeeper before we move on to the defence is that if a goalkeeper makes a mistake, that means goal. 99 times out of 100. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it important. But what about a goalkeeper, a good goalkeeper in a bad team? How much better can he really make that team? He might save another third worth of shots but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, if your strikers are rubbish and you, you never score any at the other end, you might save 10 of 12, but you'll still lose 2-0. So, like like so you might have an amazing game, but you can't right. necessarily affect your team in a positive sense as much as other Like Jordan Pickford at Sunderland. Brilliant. Sunderland yeah. get relegated. Jordan Pickford, clearly because the saves he was making, people appreciate what a great goalkeeper he was. He goes to Everton for a lot of money. So that, that's the kind of scenario you're looking at. But he, didn't, he couldn't have any difference. He couldn't have made any difference to Sunderland's relegation because yes he made five or six but he still he can't save everything and he was getting absolutely peppered but you can, you can look good because yes. your defence is rubbish yes. and yes. often yes. you find that goalkeepers <coughs> who are rated really highly at poor teams then go on to bigger teams and turn out not to be quite that good because the challenge is different yeah. surely the thing with the goalkeeper is a goalkeeper cannot win you a game by definition goalkeeper can't win you the game mm-hmm. but a goalkeeper can prevent you losing it unless you're Shilivert remember him Oh, unless you're Chilivert or Rogerio Shaney, the Sao Paulo goalkeeper, who was equally prolific. T- takes set pieces in the manner of an Andy Hinchcliffe whoa, circa whoa, whoa. 1994. That's mightily high praise. <laughs> I know. Really? Uh, yeah, Did you probably one of your seven caps against Paraguay? No, sadly not. No, they no, wouldn't let no, you again no. play against a team that good. Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'd get Because the left back was a dodgy position to play. So uh, we were uh, equally split on the merits of a goalkeeper, which is uh, fairly understandable, bearing in mind that that's going to probably be the story of the rest of the podcast. Let's move on to defenders, shall we? Now, are defenders as much of... Should we consider defenders as being as much of a unit and the benefits of them being as a unit as individual players? You look at players who have played in a back four and have looked really shaky, then somebody else has come along and made them look better because of their influence on the unit. We'll come to fullbacks in a minute, Andrew, don't worry. Let's start with central defenders. If you have two or one bad central defenders, can that scupper you as much as having a bad goalkeeper having good central defenders does that make you that much better than having bad ones that it's going to affect your team in a do we have to sense? look at formations this is the only trouble we get into the minefield two of, or three well, because <laughs> if you ha- you can play really well in a back three but be terrible in a, a pair of centre halves so do we then have to clarify 
What what system? Are, do we have to work out a system that we're playing? No, no not I, really. think, I do think it makes a difference. It might do, but yeah. for the purposes of getting out of here before Thursday of next week. Okay, okay. Let's, let's try and treat them as a whole. But is there not a pro- There is a problem with the kind of concept as a whole, and we discussed this off air, as the professionals say before, which is that in our pre-prod meeting. In in the pre-pod meeting, not the pre-prod. Pre-prod meeting. pod meeting. Start again and say pre-pod. <laughs> Pre- well, no, it's a prod. Pre-production meeting. Oh, the pre-pod. That, oh, I see. Pre-prod yeah. pod. The pre-pod prod. Right. The pre-prod pod. That's it. Yeah, he's right. He's right. He is right. Okay, Once I he's apologize. actually right. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah. He's a buffoon, but he's right. <laughs> Yeah, in the pre-prod pod. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, basically when we had a coffee. The thing is that with defenders, it's really hard to, to assess. And the best example of this was not brought up by me, but was is Southampton and Jose Font and Dejan Lovren, Morgan Schneider and Victor Wanyama, which Steve made, which is that if you look at Font and Lovren since they've left Southampton, at Southampton they were considered great central defenders, great unit. People probably looked at them and thought kind of they... They were a great partnership, and central defence, like all football, is about partnerships. But it's also about partnerships within within partnerships. So they looked great at Southampton because they also had Schneiderlin and Wanyama protecting them. So it's really hard, I think, to look at central defenders in isolation and say, yeah, look, if you have two great central defenders, if you have Beresi and Costa Curta, then you're going to stand a chance. It's really important to have great central defenders. But what's re- what really makes them that defence perfect is if you have... Maldini and Tosotti, that for that foursome is what makes that 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 AC Milan defence. I'm thinking a lot about AC Milan. <laughs> it's the functioning of the team. It's the functioning it? of the team. Yeah, but yeah. then you also need the, the defen- you know the defensive midfielders in front of them offering that shield. So it's, I think, in isolation, defences are hugely important and becoming more important. Teams playing out through fullbacks, teams playing out through central defenders, looking for ball playing central defenders. They're they're enormously important, but they function only as part of the unit. Therefore, individually, it's hard to say they are the most important. So you are hinting that it diminishes their individual importance. Yeah, it's it's a bit like the goalkeeper. You know, you're judging a goalkeeper by how many saves he has to make and what sort of saves he's, he's being required to make. It's the same with a central defensive partnership. How much defending are they actually having to do? And then as a consequence, how much time are they getting the opportunity to cultivate an understanding, to think about what they what might be coming their way? Because the more time you've got to react, surely the more accomplished you're likely to be in, in completing that defensive task. And that was the situation at Southampton was that, that Fontenlovren got an awful lot of protection, suddenly had a lot less defending to do because of Schneidlin and Wanyama. And when that partnership in front of them got broken up, Defensively, Southampton started to get exposed a little bit more. And, and funny if nobody on Twitter actually offered up the suggestion that a central defender was the most important position. But there was suggestions. Uh, Tim Bolani was one who described the spine as being the most important. And I guess that's where that spine starts. But also teams playing one up front changes the role of centre-halves as well. In the up 4-4-2, you had... You're playing against two strikers. Now they're only playing against one striker. So teams play a bit more reserved and play on the counter-attack. So the role of these... It's just, it's just complicating the whole issue, isn't it? The, the role of, of playing a centre-half has changed completely as well. So the well, that makes you any more or less effective. The qualities that you need. Yeah, so if you're yeah, playing yeah. against one, often there will be a spare centre-back. This is massively simplifying the situation. Mm. But will then be required to have extra abilities. Do you want me to get my magnetic tactics board? 
Well, I was hoping that you'd bring it, but, yep. um, but it wouldn't fit in the boot, would it? Yeah, your so. awareness has to be different of what's going on around you for a centre-half. There's one of them probably has to play up against the centre-forward. The other one has to read the game. So, again, the role of a centre-half is probably less physical now, and you have to be more mentally aware of, of what's going on around you. What I would say, and this is why Chinch, as always, is not, not only handsome, but right, is that in the emphasis on which position is most important changes by system. Yes. So in, if you play the old-fashioned 3-5-2 sweeper system that the Ger that German teams played until, well, about 10 years ago, to be honest, then the sweeper probably is the most important position. He is the last line of defence. He is the builder of the play. He is the, the sort of heartbeat of the team. In, in, in a sweeper system, the sweeper is the most important player. Lothar Matthäus was the most important player in the Germany team in 1990 because the sweeper dominated everything. He was the defence and ah, the midfield. So players that are doing a combination of keeping a team out and also, and also starting building, the team yeah. going for... Ah, right, and OK. Central yeah. defenders are moving back towards that. If you look at someone like Javi Martinez, yeah. he's playing in central defence as much because of his ability to create the play as he is to, to stop play from the opposition. But I don't think in a 4-4-2 or a four-man back line or in a sort of three-man back line that you can say that one individual central defender is the most important player on the pitch. The other reason perhaps that uh, central defenders or defenders in general haven't been brought into the discussion is perhaps the era, the, the style of football that we're currently living with. If we were having this conversation in a different country at a different time, then probably everybody would be suggesting, well, central defender is the most important position. But from certainly our untrained eyes to an extent, sorry, you're excluded from that, uh, that judgment change. The, the, there, is, there, there isn't... Um, Why is everyone being kind to me today? Because there's a big one coming. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's a, you know, Virgil van Dijk you know, seemed to be you know, hugely in demand during the most recent transfer window because high-quality, established central defenders seem to be at an absolute premium. And perhaps the fact that we haven't got many central defenders to look up to, to admire, who are displaying the art of central defending on a regular basis means that it's become a bit of a forgotten position. There's also a cultural thing, which is that football in general has always valued attacking players more than defensive players. So if you look at individual awards, they tend to go to attacking players. I think Cannavaro is the last one to last defender to win an individual, individual award, and that was in 2006. Uh, highest transfer fees tend to be for for attacking players, although you wonder if that might change a bit given the shortage of central defenders. So there is a cultural conditioning that we are all, we are all to an extent, uh, victim of, which is that we think attacking players are more important than defensive players, which may be why fewer people brought them up on Twitter. So we've had a conversation about uh, goalkeepers. We've had a conversation about defenders, particularly centre-backs. So um, then there's full-backs and then midfielders. So how important whoa, is Whoa, 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 whoa. Full-backs? All oh, right. Okay. Here we go. Oh, you want to talk about fullbacks? Oh, really? Do you want keep me to talk it, about fullbacks? I'll keep it brief. Actually, well, it's the golden age of fullbacks slash wingbacks, is. isn't it? It's the, if you yes. want to be one, be one now. Yes, because but this has all happened because of the change in in systems and the advent of the the holding midfielder, which has given fullbacks more license to go forward. In the old days, you played alongside centre halves, you defended, and if you could get forward on the overlap, great. But you didn't do it every time you were in possession. But now with teams playing with the extra kind of central midfielder who helps out with centre halves, the fullbacks are given license to go forward and provide the teams with because so many teams now they don't play with wide players they play with these central creative players the fullbacks then provide the width so that's why they're so important it's because of of the way systems have changed and the the, the holding midfielder funnily enough absolutely nobody on twitter agrees <laughs> really <laughs> nobody mentions fullbacks even though this is supposedly oh, the even golden I'm saying, era even i'm saying they aren't I, clearly there are more so if you've got a really really good fullback yes or a really good pair of fullbacks or wingbacks depending on the system 
can you improve your team enough to make them important in our discussion? Or if you've got terrible fullbacks and you're trying to play a system which features them and it doesn't work, do they do Why they are you looking at me as a massive detriment to well, your team? Do they yeah. are they that essential as in you make or you break um, position? Not as much as other positions, I would say. No. But then but if, you they look at, if they're good and they can. Yeah, provide the width and, and enable other players to function. Then they can be massively important. They're but a luxury. If they, they're a luxury. They're not a luxury, man. <laughs> but um, yes, I, I don't think they're as important as other players. But if you look at City last year, and it does tend to come back to City, but, but with fullbacks, it's a great example. That system that Guardiola was trying to play just didn't work with the fullbacks he had at his disposal, which shows how important yes. having the right sorts of fullbacks is. And obviously, everything in this discussion has to be caveated with the fact that it depends entirely on the system you're playing, the style of play, the resources you have what you're trying to do, obviously, which positions are most important. So in a Tony Pulis team, the fullbacks are not that important. They are basically auxiliary centre-backs. But the way that Guardiola wants to play with those those tucked-in forward players, he needs the width that comes from having two really energetic, dynamic fullbacks. Mm. And then there's the fact that fullbacks are increasingly important in building play. And mm. we saw it at, at Everton with Roberto Martinez, that in the, the great season, his first season at Everton, Part of the reason was because they were building the play through Baines and Coleman and they were so good at it. And it that changed when teams worked out that that's where ev all of Everton's play started was with Baines and Coleman and they started shutting them down and Ever Everton couldn't build play without them free. So fullbacks are, are hugely important. Whether they're the most important position on the pitch, I think, is, is, fullbacks, is harder to say. Fullbacks in a back four, I feel, if they do the job really well, can be more important because they tend to come onto the game and provide the overlap at just the right time in the final third and deliver. Whereas wingbacks, the opposition tends to sit back so it's harder there's less room for you to operate and so you've got to stretch the game to enable the central creative players to have more space to really affect the game so I think attacking fullbacks like Baines and Coleman that's why the opposition when they came and played against Everton were actually getting to a point where they were man marking them because they were that dangerous because they'd lay the ball into midfield and go on the overlap coming from deeper positions whereas wingbacks obviously play further forward and can be less effective because there's so many of the opposition players between them and the goal and if you can neutralise them they can't be that important if you can neutralise yeah. them that simply they can't necessarily be that pivotal mm. well, I was going to say the, the, the man who's kind of defined the modern fullback role is, Danny, is oh, Danny Alves Danny Alves yeah and he Barcelona lost a lot when they lost Alves and Alves's final ball isn't always the best but they, he was crucial for the way they played because he gave them that, that, that width on the attack but also that, that sort of play building capacity and obviously we've seen at PSG his importance as well because Dani Alves helps you sign Neymar <laughs> <laughs> he's got what just with his contacts just his, his contacts who's able yeah. to text him the most important player on the pitch is the one who's got the most numbers in their phone they, they, that's my theory yeah. and the thing with fullbacks is a bit like you know we were saying that the def defending has become an underappreciated if not unappreciated art is the fact that we're talking about fullbacks and winbacks in an attacking sense oh, yeah. and not their importance yes. Yes. good point yes. good point yes. you mentioned Pep Guardiola if Pep Guardiola was having a, a seat at this table and enjoying oh, as we all are a Chi and Mulberry muffin he would be miserable can you he, imagine how sarcastic he'd be being he'd true. be being so sarcastic just sit there and shrug even though that's oh. Gallic guys guys I'm so happy I'm so happy to be here guys I'm so happy to be here how, I don't hate you all completely how long do you think he would indulge us in conversation it would be very very can you brief, imagine if you it? brought Pep Guardiola to a, a very nice well appointed townhouse in Didsbury he'd be, he'd be appalled to be surrounded by four journalists well bearing in mind awful. he lives in a service
nearest apartment in the middle of Manchester, he would be wondering where the people were to service him, because frankly, I'm not going to pick up his crumbs. I think we should maybe change the wording on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us want to be servicing Guardiola at this I think, point. I think you'll find that service departments is a completely uh, understandable and correct use of the real estate term. Um, so I'm so happy. If he was here, he'd be very happy. <laughs> uh, but also, he would say that the most important player is without doubt the pivot, the defensive midfielder who, until um, the late 90s and early 2000s, was known as a defensive midfielder, then became known as the Claude Makélélé role. In fact, before he came along, nobody really appreciated the position at all. Then when he went from Real Madrid and from Chelsea, they certainly appreciated him. You appreciated him. No, no, no. In this country. In this country. That's really important. It's always been really important in Argentinian football. The five is really important. And then to add... Um, the layer of N'Golo Kante as well, who's been very much appreciated over the last couple of years. He is the pivot, the number six in the uh, the Barcelona Cruyff um, numbering system. So the Xavi, the five is the left back in the uh, oh, in the, the Dutch system. So the numbers aside, mm. he is the the number six. He is the Xavi. He is the Xavi Alonso um, at Bayern Munich. He is the Philip Lahm sometimes at Bayern Munich. So important is that role that he would cultivate Philip Lahm, the brainiest player on Bayern Munich's team, to play that role from fullback so that he could uh, get the best use or the best play in that position. And there was him. real enthusiasm for this on Twitter. This was uh, a subject that came up a lot when we, we mentioned that uh, this was the topic for conversation today. Mitchell Willis among those who said, the Makaleli role is the most important. Any role named after a player <laughs> must have significance. He also doffed his cap to the efforts of Angola Kante with, uh, with Leicester and now Chelsea. And uh, Mitchell went on to say that, uh, that the Makaleli role is the one that allows other players in the system to go out and play. It allows covering wing-backs to get forward. It allows um, the ball out from defence, from central defenders. And it allows central midfielders who are more inclined to attack... Paul Pogba, for example. It releases them from any shackles of defensive responsibility. It is a selfless position and therefore, and I'm inclined to agree with uh, with the people who said this, it's a selfless position, so therefore it is the most important. So it allows people, for example, playing in the chinch roll, as it's become known, is that, that, that wastrel fullback who's... Well, drinking coffee and uh, <laughs> drinking coffee eating muffins. Eating muffins. <laughs> Excellent at that. International class at that. You've already mentioned that it allows fullbacks to yes. do what fullbacks mm-hmm. can now do. But it's important to say, I think, at this point, and Rory, you'll, you'll back me up on this, that it is called defensive midfielder, but it is not necessarily just because he is a deep-lying midfielder, no, no, no. a defensive position. And the myriad of aspects to this position, I think, highlights its importance. You have to be really conscious of the fact that there are... Lots of, way, lots of ways of interpreting this same position. So the way Makaleli played it is not the same way Kante played it. Kante is not a Makaleli type of player. He does, he does the same job. Not, that's not true. Probably has the same effect, but in a different way. But crucially, like you say, it's not just a defensive role because it's far back on the pitch. Pirlo at Juventus was a deep-line midfielder. Wasn't defensive. His, his was an attacking role. He was a deep-line playmaker, that horrible phrase. The quarterback of the team. <laughs> even though he's not the quarterback. So there are lots of ways of interpreting it. And even within players who are cat- sort of characterised and categorised as inherently defensive, like Sergio Busquets, a lot of their contributions are attacking. That they're, They win the ball back ordinarily through good positioning rather than a thundering tackle that everyone gets out of their seats and screams, oh, what a warrior, does it's oh, a man's the, game. Oh. The Michael Carrick effect. The Michael Carrick effect, Being yeah. in the right place at the right time rather than having to gallivant and charge at the last moment. Exactly. You win the ball back through your intelligence and then you use that very same intelligence to build play. So I think that the, I, I would say that the holding midfield, the, deep, the deeper midfielder, 
the pivot, which is probably the right word for it, the pivot position is the most important, along with one other. I think it's a joint thing, which is me sitting on the fence. Uh, <laughs> because in the case of this one, it has both an attacking and a defensive contribution. It, it does a little bit of both. It enables the team both to win games by not conceding goals and win games by, by creating chances. And I think that makes it crucially important. And this deep-lying playmaker or um, blood and thunder, uh, at least with some sort of bandage around their head, tackling last-ditch <laughs> midfielder as well, whichever way it goes. Funnily enough, it's the, it's the way that it has been perceived. You mentioned that in other countries, Rory, it has been valued. But until somebody like Claude Makélélé comes along or N'Golo Kante, who was known and statistically was a player with the most interceptions, and the most tackles and often the most passes, but that's always tertiary in that thing because we tend to, in this country, see that defensive midfielder as a person who breaks up play and they forget the fact that N'Golo Kante and others who have got a reputation for breaking up play actually then have the ball and have to do something sensible with it. Well, that's it. So Kante's a brilliant ball carrier. He covers ground with the ball at his feet he's a great passer of the ball he, he's added goals at Chelsea yeah, yeah, nice, he, I'm yeah. not sure he scored for Leicester but he's he certainly didn't score very very often for Leicester but he's got a few for Chelsea particularly against Manchester United so Kante has lots more to his game which in part I think is because of where he plays and the sort of player we have, we have decided he is we have decided he's a, def- a defensive midfielder so we look for his excellence in the in the qualities we expect from defensive midfielders. So interceptions, kilometres run, number of sprints, tackles made, mud on shorts, those sorts of things. (laughs) But the other thing that has to be mentioned, and this is a much bigger topic, is that we we have a tendency, I don't know whether it's true across the world, but in this country, in the way that we perceive black players, which is we always perceive black players through their physical attributes rather than their mental ones. And Dolo Kante is incredibly creative. It's not necessarily the assist pass that he makes, but the assist before the assist before the assist, the starting of the move, Kante's brilliant at dribbling pass players. He's fantastic at that. But because he's black, there is a tendency, and I don't think it's a deliberate racism, but there's a there's a tendency to focus on his energy, his dynamism, the fact that he runs a lot, in the same way as Lukaku is discussed exclusively as being powerful. No one ever mentions that Romelu Lukaku is really good at taking up intelligent positions or making intelligent runs. We ascribe to black players physical characteristics and we tend to ascribe to white players mental characteristics, which is clearly wrong. Kante is an incredibly intelligent player. He doesn't get enough credit for that. Well, we, we do like to pigeonhole players. I think when, when Kante was at Leicester, he was just a player who ran around a lot and managed to get his foot on the ball. People were maybe surprised when he went to Chelsea, thinking he wouldn't be able to step up his game and be as important. He's even better for Chelsea, and we've seen that development. He's always had that in his game. He's just at Leicester, they play counter-attacking football. So he won it back, one ball over the top, Vardy was in. With Chelsea, clearly that's not how they play. They play, obviously, it's a little bit more predictable. They keep the ball better. So he is then doing more of what he's capable. So he's, again, he's showing how much better a player that he is than we saw at Leicester. But we, we like to pigeonhole play. He's just this. He's just this. He's just this. And that's really unfair. But with Conte, I think it's been brilliant the way that he has gone to Chelsea, improved them. We've seen more of the game that we knew that he had consistently. And hopefully people do appreciate more and more just just how good he is. So whether that pivot wins the ball back via a thunderous tackle or via a intelligent positional play and he intercepts the ball, when he has that, what does he do with it? He gives it to the attacking midfielder. He will often give it to the trequartista, the enganche. That's the Italian and Spanish version of what we would probably call an attacking midfielder or a playmaker. The, the the possession goes through those two players almost more than anybody else, unless you're a rubbish team and the goalkeeper's taking a lot of goal kicks. Mm. But there are there are those players like, for example, um, 
David Silva at Manchester City, who you will see the amount of touches, who it goes through more often because they are the tempo of the team. They are the player who has the best vision, the best positional sense. Paul Scholes used to do it for Manchester United. He always used to always have some sort of extra yard of space and extra second on the ball because he would find positions and then he would turn that possession into an extra, a third level, if you like. So if it's gone from first level to the defensive midfielder, it's gone second level to the attacking midfielder and he'll turn the ball into a third level pass, which will create a chance. And that is probably why they might also be in the discussion of the most important player. It's funny, you know, because people always say that... um that Italian and Spanish particularly have, or South American and Spanish particularly, have better words, have a deeper understanding of the game because of the the kind of linguistic nature of how they, or the nature of the linguistics they use around football. So enganche is a is a specific type of midfielder. It's a specific term. Just as pivote is the word, what we were talking about for, for number fives, number sixes, defensive midfielders, they call them pivotes. We have all these words in English, we just don't use them. The best word for what we're looking to describe is schema, which has fallen out of fashion completely. We're, Talking about schema. a schema. Yeah. My dad, who's 70... What year is it? <laughs> 2017. My dad, who's 75, talks about schemas. He likes watching schemas, because that's what they called them in the 50s and 60s. Schemas. That's what the name in English is. We've, we've just forgotten how to use it. And I find that really interesting, that we, we look at kind of all these other countries, all these other languages, which have wonderful, florid, rich vocabularies to talk about football. We have our own. We just never use it. But the schema is, is crucial. And I think that... The, the cliche has it that the hardest thing to do on a football pitch is to score goals. I don't think that's right. I think the hardest thing to do on a football pitch is to create chances. Because once you've created the chance, what you thought, you're telling me that it's harder to kick a ball from four yards out than it is to thread it through seven players. Nonsense. So the schema has the brains. The schema is the brains the of the team. Yeah. To, to make these passes, but to see them. Yeah. Yes, the execution. Yeah. You can they see, see it, this. but it's also the execution. Yes. It has to be the yeah. two things. But I think the vision is crucial. It's the fact that you see things that others don't. That in every other position, there is a, a, either an obvious approach to take, there is a clear job to do, there are instructions to be followed. If you do this, this and this, you will have had a good game. I think for a schema, an enganche, a treguatista, then you, you have to take on a degree of individual responsibility that, only, that you are the only person in that team, possibly on that pitch, who can do that. Yeah, yeah. And that is why it's so crucial that a team with a really good playmaker will always be at a higher level than a team who do not have that that one player who can do something truly special because that is the we live in an age of systemic defending and of kind of really kind of comprehensive tactics and perfect preparation and all this stuff to have a player who can do something that no one can stop something that's completely unexpected that is what changes game. Who would we who would, who would we say in the last ten years? Who who would we say covers that position best? I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if I've ever mentioned him, but is Francesco, Francesco Totti. Totti. Oh, I can't <laughs> believe we've got there. We the have got there. Zidane. Zidane. Zidane's your, your Iniesta, That play. If you if we're yeah. talking about the formation that, that using the number system that uh, of course is loved by many who follow Barcelona and, and Cruyff and Ajax and, and the Dutch total football system. It is that player who, who is the number eight who, yeah. who sits ahead of the number six. And those two, often with a third player, if they're playing two attacking midfielders, because you can play more than one. Mm. And Manchester City do that. If we talk talks about David Silva, you've got Kevin De Bruyne, who is the yes, other one. Yes, yes. And they offer completely different things. David Silva is the 
is the tempo guy, the ticking over, the pass it through me, I'll be the schemer. Whereas Kevin De Bruyne is the direct trachotista. He is the guy, give it to me and I'll play it first time. I'll be direct. I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be the guy that goes through on the break, for example, if there's space ahead of me. And quite often he loses the ball because he's been told to go, go for it. Play that ball that might come off one or five times, but when it comes off, it's going to be almost certainly a goal. And he has that ability to do that. It's, so it's a kind of a di- two different tempos. So if you took, so you if you took those that, two players out of City's team, you see the, how deficient they would be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and take one of the two one out, the two. and it too much goes through one of uh-huh, them, yeah. and you okay. and you are you are more predictable. But the best example of, of the pla- the power of a playmaker, a true playmaker. Does Me- Messi can be a playmaker? Messi does sometimes occupy that role. It doesn't have to be in modern football. It's been changed a little bit so that it's not purely sort of the the Juan Ramon Raquelme style number ten who just sits in the kind of attacking I knew, third. I, I Raquelme was coming. Raquelme was coming. <laughs> Raquelme was coming. <laughs> Rory will mention Raquelme when we get to. Trick Imagine if Totti and Raquelme were in the same team. Juan Carlos Valeron, another great schemer. Yes. Proper schema, but those, those days have gone of those kind of laconic players sort of ambling around and thinking, Oh, I suppose I should play a defense splitting pass and while smoking as you tan, as you tan on <laughs> like a little tumbler of whiskey. But funnily enough, that's, the, that's the, 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 the element of a playmaker which we should bring up as being a negative because, and probably again in this country considered more so, you would have in the 1990s the possibility of playing a playmaker, that number 10, that guy who has the ability to scheme and to create chances. But if a manager decided that he couldn't accommodate that player because, for example, he was smoking as Jutan or too many the night before, um, that you couldn't have that much of a luxury in your team because you'd be essentially defending with 10. So there is an element to be remembered that actually without possession that sometimes that player is considered too much of a luxury but, if you look, but it's not so much anymore if you look at the modern, the, the modern example I was going to bring up was Isco who when he came into the Real Madrid team Isco was a proper playmaker but he's a modern playmaker yeah he's not Letizier who, who sort of didn't really want to tattle around and his job was to get the ball and be brilliant I think that if you have a sufficiently well structured team you can carry that I think that's the manager's job to find a way to incorporate that into a team. Yes, and it was managers of often teams who couldn't afford to because they were often towards the bottom half yeah. of the league and they had to think about that more than they thought about it. And just on the Letizier thing, he did, he played the best football of his career um, under Alan Ball at Southampton when Alan Ball built the team around him and did accommodate him. The, the, the playmaker theme is the one that came up the most often. Whether that was a deep-lying playmaker or, or a more advanced playmaker, that was the one that people mentioned the most on Twitter. It, it sounds like the glamour position, doesn't it? So I'm intrigued as to why we don't hear, we don't see stories in the papers, we don't hear managers talking about looking for that player as much as we do about oh, the, the full-back positions they need sorting out, holding midfielder, we're desperate for one of those. And, you know, Strikers seems to have been one that this summer that lots of clubs have been looking for a new centre forward that they've not been able to find. If this is such an important position, this playmaker role, the trequartista, why are we not hearing more and more managers talking about trying to acquire one? Is that because they're easier to come by and that players want to play that position so they they have them available and it's about trying to, to make a team work around them? Or is it because... It's so difficult to get that position right that it's almost you can't go out looking for it. You just have to maybe stumble across it by chance. I think coaches are worried that if they try to play that way and have a player that they expect to do that job in the team, that it does leave them vulnerable. Because we were at Sheffield Wednesday, we had Paolo Di Canio, Benito Carboni. So in essence, at times, we defended with nine but if you said to me, would you rather have them in the team or not in the so team? Eight. I was in just that say. <laughs> but if you, if I'd always rather have them in the team because of what they could do for you, 
rather than say we'll have two other guys who'll just run around an awful lot and we'll defend with 11 because we knew our chances of winning the game were diminished by not having these two in the team. So we did defend as nine and then hopefully attacked as 11 because these two could win the game for you. But a lot of managers are probably thinking now, well, is it still considered a luxury? If you're like half the Premier League is or in, in all the top divisions in Europe, you're battling to stay up. Would they see that player as well with a man down if he doesn't do the defensive side of it, if he doesn't function defensively with what I want from my team? So they say, well, I'd rather maybe not play that way or have that type of player in my team because I'm always going to be worried about what the opposition could do to us if we are a man down. So maybe that's why they look to the holding midfielders and the fullbacks because, yes, they can do a good attacking job, but they also do a good defensive job as well. So that's why they're maybe sought after more than the number 10s now. So within the broader sense of this debate, which is the most important position, does that weaken the argument for the, the playmaker role because some managers would consider it a luxury? Um, that you have to compensate for having that player in your team in other ways and that therefore only the very best teams, the elite teams, can afford to have one. So that perhaps we come back to, we, if, if we're looking at what is the most important position, however much we might talk with the romanticism of that role and pick out the, 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 the players from our, our youths who perhaps in, inspired us by watching them play, that the more pragmatic approach of the of the top flight football manager might look at that role with a little bit of suspicion and therefore we can't judge it to be the most important in the team. The, the crucial thing I think with, with this, and that's absolutely right, the crucial thing is that we live ultimately beyond all player discussion in an age of the coach where system is what matters and the reason that coaches prefer having either box-to-box midfielders which the Argentinians also have a funny, a fancy word that I can't pronounce for but those, those, um, those box-to-box midfielders or systems in which the, the fullbacks provide width or it's about attacking movements and you don't necessarily have a, a pure 10 is because we live in an age of the coach and ultimately there is a tension there between the 10 represents individual, individuality, the sort of the vicissitude of, of a player's form whereas through system you can counteract all of that and you can say this is the system, this, lob, this sort of Lobanovsky approach, this is veering dangerously into Jonathan Wilson territory but that Lobanovsky approach where, where the, the movement is a set pattern that should work in any situation whereas if you're reliant on the 10 to create chances then you're, it, if he has a bad day you're done yes exactly yes. and that, that maybe does count against them in, an a, in, in the football that we have now which is where system is king where everything is about the system defensive and attacking it has to be it works they, they, they are t- trained and drilled so in sort of deep detail that everything is about the system if you do these movements if we do this overlap if the fullbacks provide this width it will work we can attack anybody rather than Let's get it to Juan Roman and hope that he's he's on it today. That doesn't work anymore. The teams don't have space for that. So in the modern game, I think the 10 is probably less important than the 5 or the 6, depending on, on how you're numbering it. I think in the game that most people want to watch, the 10 is the most important. And coaches are probably playing the percentages and saying, if I can pick one system that can give us a good chance of scoring and a good chance of defending... I'm going to go for that system, and that's maybe why the that playmaker gets squeezed out of the team. Yeah, the romanticism against the prag- yeah pragmatism yeah. of of modern football. Okay, Since we're talking Argentinian. We, it's, this is Menotti against Bilardo. This is that's what this is. For all those people needing a reference yeah. point, I was thinking of that. That's yeah. Menotti, uh, Menotti against Bilardo. Yeah. We finish our conversation rather strangely with more than one just striker, with perhaps a a front group. 
strikers and wingers. If you think about the two best players in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, both started life as wingers and both spent their career managers trying to basically make them more central, as central as possible to infect the game as much as possible. So we're going we're gonna to group them together. Strikers mainly, and we'll, we'll touch on, on wingers as well, because wingers' positions have completely changed in that they're inverted now and they tend to, to play more centrally anyway. We've well, surely got to take Ronaldo and Messi out of this equation because they are so incredibly gifted in virtually wherever they play. What's the most important position? Ronaldo. Just play, <laughs> yeah. just play 11 Messi's and you're okay, aren't you? Because they could do this. So, yeah, in a way, you take out those players and say, well, right, if, if I had not a bog-standard centre-forward, but how important... It seems because I'm sure most people will go down the road of well, the centre forward scores the goals, wins your game, so he has to be. But without the most service, important. exactly. That's, that's what we're saying about the, the creation. Very interesting. I've not thought about that before in the last 48 years of my life <laughs> about the creation of chances rather than the, and the yet finishing of created said so many. Yes, I did really, but I don't want to talk about that too much. Okay. But, no, I think I think Chinch is right that the, it, the tendency is always to assume that the striker is the most important position because in inverted commas the hardest thing to do on a pitch is to score goals I don't personally agree with that but I understand why people say it um, my argument would, would always be that, that service matters so you, there are loads of teams that have had brilliant strikers and not won anything because the service isn't enough and equally you get lots of strikers who go to one club don't score any goals because the service is terrible then get signed by another club and they all go oh I can't believe we're signing him he's not scored for two years and it's 40 that that's and over dramatic example but <laughs> The, strike, yes. the strikers are entirely reliant on others, which means that they cannot be the most important position. The one thing to, to say in support of strikers is they often get one touch to do what everybody else has had a lot more touches to do. So they, mm. their, their execution, we talked about the, the, the fact that the vision and execution pairing for attacking midfielders is incredibly important. Well, for the, the striker, the, the vision is all in the preparation because they have to be in the right spot at the right time and then the execution has to be perfect every time and hence the amount of chances missed are often because it's incredibly difficult to apply that, that correct one touch perfectly every time. Yeah, in defence of strikers, and I agree with what Rory says about the, you know, actually being harder to create but of course striker misses a chance you remember that they need the poise they need the composure they need the nerves of steel don't they to take the opportunity when it presents itself especially as increasingly you get a sense that fewer chances are being created so those that do come along you know you need to have a greater conversion rate perhaps than when when more opportunities opportunities were being created and I guess that you know the playmaker trying to thread the pass through a sea of legs when it comes off we're astonished by the brilliance of it. But if it doesn't quite, you don't hold that against him because you accept this is a difficult thing to do. But if Cross is whipped in from the wing and you think, well, that's a great opportunity and the striker doesn't take it, then your sense of how the match plays out from that moment onwards completely changes because you're able to say, well, if they stuck the ball in the back of the net, then we're, we're destined to win the game. Whereas if you know, your number 10 doesn't quite pick the, the, the right pass, you're not so worried about it because you anticipate him having another opportunity to try that at some point. That is true. That is a, it's true and it's a, it's, a, it's a compelling argument. And, it, it, and it's the source of yeah, a great, great amount of frustration. If you have a, a team with a very good striker but your backup striker isn't great, then the, then the drop-off is significant. If you are a team who invests in a striker who is significantly better than the one you had previously, the same chances are being made by skilled players around them. Suddenly you've got 20 goals as opposed to six or seven. This is known by physicists as the Vincent Janssen effect. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if you look, at somebody, you look at a player like Miroslav Klose, nobody thinks that Miroslav Klose is a particularly 
skilled footballer in any sense of the, the the conversation that we've been having about the ability to do this vision execution. But he ha- he has an incredible ability to only touch the ball once and for that to be a goal. And he has to be there. He has to have the skill, the technique, the ability, the poise, the, the poise to be able to, to, to score those goals. And Miroslav Klose, to the age of 34, 35, was still in the Germany team, mm. still doing exactly that. Well, he's a time traveller, isn't he? Because he's five seconds ahead of the game. Strike, good strikers have to be two or three seconds ahead of the game. They end up where the ball is going to be. So they're already thinking... That's where I'm going to be. That's where I'm going to score. And that poise and everything is really to be admired. The movement that players have and that ability. It's not by accident you end up scoring the goals that you do. Yes, it is about creating opportunities, but players, top strikers, and that's what I admire the very best ones, is not necessarily for putting the ball in the net. It's getting into a position to put the ball into the net. And yes, that is about creating opportunities, but that ability to find space and just pass it into the back of the net is just... And it is. You're two or three, four seconds ahead of the game. It's brilliant. I do wonder, you know, if we have this conversation in 10 years' time, when we will have hopefully cracked the 1,000 listener barrier. Uh, the <laughs> Overall. I, I wonder whether we might be saying that it's the... The numbers don't really work, but the 7 and the 11, the two wide forwards, who have responsibility not only for creating, but for scoring as well, who are becoming more and more important, and that having the quality there, and then your central striker is is kind of the one that everything revolves around, but he is not purely responsible for the goals. The, the other two, the two wide players yeah, have, yeah, ha- yeah. have to bear responsibility for that and the creation because we're not seeing as many tens. I wonder whether that is the position of greatest importance for the future. But I wanted to ask Chinch, what do you think players would say? Apart from their own position. Yeah, their own position. They'd always see their position as being overly important. I'm sure a player who, if you ask Philip Lahm, What's the most... Because he's played quite a number of positions. A guy, I presume, who has a brain. I, I feel they would go with... not Holding midfield is the wrong description of the job that they do, but that N'Golo Conte, Makalele role, because it's the... Fun, if, if, you, if you care about the team winning, then what, what one player can help most players function at their best... And that's why I think that, that central midfielder is so, so important. Maybe, maybe that's the road they go down. We will finish this conversation um, with two questions to each... Um, and the questions are, which do you think is most important, bearing in mind our conversation? And then the second question is, which position did you play when you were a child? So, Steve, have you come across an answer? Yeah, I'm, I've, I've been most swung by the, uh, the argument for the, the defensive, the deep-lying midfielder. I, I, I agree with the fact that that player can bring the best out of others, so I would pick that, that role. And you played as a child? At right-back. Rory? Uh, I would say the pivot midfielder, just from the... T- I went into, came into this conversation determined to persuade you it was all, all it was the 10, but I, I, I have been won over by Steve's beard and Chinch's raw manliness. <laughs> uh, and you played when you were a kid? Everywhere, kind of. I played a... a I was very much, was a, Steve, a, very much a Steve Watson. <laughs> and you carried those oranges with aplomb, didn't you? you I played really as a substitute for a team of 10. We know this. <laughs> <laughs> we know this. We, we've forgotten about the substitute being the most important position. Um, I think it's the, the pivot. Yeah, and I, yeah. I played... Um, basically started off as the Jamie Redknapp of the team, but then everybody realised they didn't dress well enough, wasn't good-looking enough. My taste in women was terrible, uh, so I got moved to right-back. Chinch, ah. what, uh, what, do, what do you think is the most important position? I, it, to me, it has, it's interesting because we're talking about what individual position... And at, at first, when I knew we were talking about this, is you just look at that position, but then it expands out to say, well, it's a team game, so what player can help the team function best? And it, to me, it has to be the pivot because... 
five or six other players can't play well without that person doing a really effective job. So it has to be that. I started out as a goalkeeper in between two trees in the backfield with my brothers, and I was a very good goalkeeper. <laughs> and then everybody very, else got it's like Paul Cooper between the sticks. <laughs> uh, and then, yes, I had to go and play kind of semi-seriously. So I played as a left winger. But as I said, I couldn't. St- I tried to step over the ball, and I just it was awful. Couldn't do it. So I just moved further back to, to left. So I did play down the left hand side, but thin left legs. To that's left why back. I couldn't step over thin, thin legs. legs. Yeah. Okay. So well, the pivot. The pivot's the thing, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah, and what's, yeah. what's interesting about uh, the fact that uh, Steve and I, both terrible at football, mm. eventually whoa. played at fullback. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> comparatively Speak to yourself. Comparatively, compared to Rory and to Chinch, I'll accept that fair. I'm the third best footballer <laughs> sat around this table. <laughs> Oh, look, I've just left the table. <laughs> um, thank you to everybody for sticking with this. Um, uh, perhaps understandably, we've run a little bit long on this one because we had to go through uh, everything. So if we do have time for a soccer story, Chinch, it needs yeah. to be very brief. It's a poignant one. It's not a funny... Well, actually, people might find it funny. I didn't find it funny at all because I played a game against Leeds for Everton. This was in the late 90s. Went on a surging overlapping run, crossed the ball, landed slightly awkwardly, felt something click, slid off the pitch for a while and was literally behind the, the, the byline, behind the goal. No one seemed to notice that I'd gone off the pitch. Eventually, I ma- yeah, <laughs> managed to get back to my feet, hobble back to the halfway line. It was virtually half-time. Whistle went, so I went at half-time. Physio did all the tests. I said, this knee, knee doesn't feel right at all. He did all the tests on it and said, no, it seems fine. You'll be okay. Put a tube of grip on you. You'll be fine. So I go out and play another 10 minutes of the second half. My knee swells up like a balloon, so I'm in trouble here. So they drag me off, and the physio gives me that look as if to say, there's nothing wrong with it. You're putting it on. Blew up so badly overnight, I had to go in for surgery the next day, thinking it was just a, car- a basic run of the mill. I had cartilage problems before. So I go in for the surgery in Manchester, have the operation done, wake up the next morning. Ne- wake up after the operation, not the next morning. The surgeon's there, so with hands behind his back. So I say to him, uh, oh, how did, how did it go? Just cartilage, was it? Just a bit of trim of the cartilage? And he said, uh, no, I've got your cruciate ligament here. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he had my I've completely ruptured it I pulled it off the bone so what they basically have to do is just remove the thing because it's not doing any because they can't reattach them you have to have major surgery later on but he just produced this thing a little vial you crush, so my ho- I, I went from thinking this is just a cartilage operation I'll be back in six weeks to my career possibly being over and I actually had this thing on my mantle and I should have kept it I don't know why I threw it away because really I should have kept that because in many ways, seeing it was the driving force to get back to playing again and thought, I'm not going to allow. But just to be presented with a piece of your own anatomy <laughs> in a jar, as if to say, here you go, I'll see you later, you'll be all right. What, my whole world crashed. Isn't that a terrible thing? Because Bedside Manor, what's that all that about? Awful. Isn't that a terrible thing? Yeah. Surely but it drove me on to, to play for England seven times and not particularly well. <laughs> Surely the doctor is only the second worst yeah. person in that story. Surely the physio that sent you back on with the tuba grip. Les Helm has a lot to answer oh, for. Yes, yes. Was I think he was rather sheepish when I went back and said, oh, by the way, completely ruptured my cruciate ligament. I could be, uh, could be out for two years. Which leads right back were you trying to overlap? Was it, it Gary was, Kelly? It, I, I did. I think I shrugged him off. Yeah, yeah shrugged. It was a nil-nil draw. So obviously they, they suffered without me in the second half. But yeah, the thing I just slid off the pitch and no one seemed to notice that I'd gone. You know, normally you see physios or the or the ambulance yeah. men would be hurtling round. Think something's wrong here. And he's went, oh, it's, oh, it's, it's chinch, don't I'm worry. I'm sure they just put a blanket over me and thought, how be the, it's how sick w- note, he'll what? be fine. How, <laughs> how was Yorkshire's finest, the general public, with you as you lay off the It pitch? was no, it was at the Gladys Street end, so I was Everton. just getting bottles thrown at me by the Everton fans. So. <laughs> It was a Goodison, rather. It was a Goodison, yes. Yeah. I didn't clarify that. It was a Goodison. Yeah. So, well, it's nice to have a, a soccer story with a somber note to well, end yeah, this. Uh, just, just, it's a bit I depressing. It all and down, also to know yeah. why we um, 
rib you about your inability to play football for any length of time without mm. completely ruining your knees. There were actually moments where you ruined your knees. I think his ability to overcome adversity was what we were supposed to take. Oh, right, sorry. Yeah, Apart yeah, from the fact yeah. that nobody cared or yeah. nobody realised that it was actually all really As did anything said, about our it. Our greatest glory is not in never falling, but rising every time we fall. You see, that's why the tattoo is on my arm. He's got a tattoo, everybody. One, life... one of several. The other one on the other arm is a Bruce Springsteen. Let's lyric. ignore that. That's <laughs> not important. <laughs> Confucius is that Springsteen. A, is that a Springsteen. Is that an ode to Springsteen? That one. You have to listen to listen, read the lyrics and reason to believe. You have to read the lyrics. I don't just think, oh, that's a Barbie girl. That's a great song. I'll tattoo that on my arm. It's a great song. Though. It is a great song. It's yeah. uh, it's his tramp stamp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much indeed uh, to all of you for sticking with us uh, this far. I appreciate once again we haven't gone a little long, so ap- apologies uh, for that. Hopefully you've stuck with us and found it engaging and entertaining. Uh, do not hesitate to uh, get in touch with us uh, via Twitter on at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. And do subscribe, share, rate and review. And also read Rory's column in the New York Times, just as a roundabout way to getting to us, because it is, on occasion, uh, linked to Rory's pieces. So do um, go and read On Soccer uh, by Rory Smith at the New York Times, as we humbly ask you to also continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve, Andy, and Rory, and to you for listening. Uh, We'll be back with another set-piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. When are we getting our tattoos? Oh, you're getting matching. Yeah, we were meant to be doing going to get a matching tattoo. You're going to get the Manchester B. The B, yeah. You're going to do the Manchester B. Where are you going to have it? On your wrist? On my wrist. Yeah. The Better Days one on his left bicep. I, I was there for it. Oh, it's yes, the, in New York City. That's why he's got the, NYC, you see. The only tattoo I have ever witnessed happening. How did you cope with and, it? And I thought he was very brave. <laughs> Me, less so. Did you yeah. not get one? Were you not tempted? You've got you, plenty, Chinch, for the both of us. Yeah. Were you perusing the options? In there? Yes. Were you I wanted a large East, tiger. East Side Inc., wasn't it? We yeah, East, East Side Inc. Inc. Recommended if you're ever yeah, in New York yeah. and need How a long tattoo? did the, um, the gigantic picture of Ian Bishop's face on your back take? <laughs> That's what, what was it, Alan Partridge? Was it the guy who, in the Alan Partridge, where he says he has his face? I'm from Leeds. It took me three days. I passed out four times. <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad, but it was fairly bad. Fairly bad. Looks a bit Ian Dowie now. Has it gone a bit wobbly? You've put on weight. Ah, you see, I need to slim down again. Mm. It's just if you're Bluto style upper body. That's not Bluto. Who am I thinking of? Not Bluto.